Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. My name's Marshall. Still, hasn't changed. It has not changed. After all these years. After all these years. Hey, <laughs> it's been three. That's true. That's true. Three years of podcasting. Wow. Well, two and a half. Three it's, ca- our, it's our third year of podcasting. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and we're well into it, too. Yeah, episode 22. I don't know about you, Tim, but I'm feeling episode 22. I am too. In fact, I mean, we had the conversation today that maybe this needs to be cut in half, mm-hmm. but then we decided let's just gorge. Yeah. Because <laughs> the two major subjects we're going to talk about are related, for sure. There's, oh, yeah. There's a connection. Yeah. But let's talk about some fun stuff at the front end. Yeah, so some fun stuff. And you know what I realized as I was putting together this fun stuff list? There's a lot of like kind of war and conquesty type stuff. That's just, I think, my personality bleeding through <laughs> in like what I find interesting. But whatever, I'm going to keep doing it. So in England, um, they finally finish up the 100-year war, which was like 116 years. It's finally wrapped up. And then they immediately launch themselves into 32 years of civil war known as the Wars of the Roses. So that's essentially kind of going on up there in Britain while the events of our episode are happening. And essentially there's different nobles all vying for power and that's how the Tudors end up on top. Then we have the Gutenberg Press, which is developed in the mid-1400s. Would you say the single most important invention in human history Human history? I don't know, but it's it's up there. It's way up there. It's way up there. Because this is going to, I mean, we're going to see what it does for the church because mm-hmm. it vastly affects church right. history. But I would also say is the major catalyst in the closing of the Dark Ages. I would concur. Yeah. Yeah, because, because what it does is it allows people to reproduce books at a much faster rate than a scribe could. And not only faster, but more affordably. Mm -hmm. I mean, you consider how long it takes to read a book. And then you imagine copying that book word for word onto paper. Yeah, by hand. And then by hand, sewing this thing together. Right? A, A codex put together in that way is has got to be expensive. Oh yeah. And only available to the elite. And and that they can now pump these out and a middle class has access to literature. It changes things. It changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so the first thing they that comes off the press is the Gutenberg Bible in 1454. Now Originally, the Gutenberg Bible was in the Latin Vulgate, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be long. It would only be a few years later before they started pumping Bibles out in vernacular languages, German predominantly. Sure. Um, Because while Gutenberg makes this press, everybody kind of hops in this technology. And it's one of those things that it's not just one guy in one town doing this. Suddenly, it's all over. And, And yeah, so obviously the accessibility to books the accessibility to scripture is going to be a game changer for sure. Yeah. It, it, in the time, it's not like they had the same sort of trademarks on technologies. Right. Yeah. They couldn't be like, well, I've applied to the patent office. And so I've created this thing that I now have a cornered market on. Right. Right. People just walk in and they're like, that's genius. You got the little bar thingy with the lever thingy and it does the print thingy. I could make one of those. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's the <laughs> idea that sets it apart. And then all of a sudden people just start building them and the presses spread like wildfire mm-hmm. and what's coming off of the presses even more so. Yeah. Yeah. In 1463, the prince of a little place called Wallachia, which is now essentially Romania, turns back the Ottoman armies after they take Constantinople. His name was Vlad. Vlad the Third, 
Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Dracula. That is a serious set of names. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually, I, just funnily enough, currently listening to um, a, a war podcast because I listen to those things. And there's a mini series on, on Vlad Dracula. And it's not for the faint of heart. That's all I'll say. Um, in the late 1400s, Ivan the Great of Russia decides that he's done getting pushed around by the Mongols or the Tatars as they were known who were essentially Mongol raiders who had uh, converted to Islam. And so he defeats the Great Horde and reestablishes Russian independence after 240 years of them being subjugated. So it's a big deal if you're Russian, I guess. Mm-hmm. They don't call him the Great for nothing. Yeah, I when I was in college, fun fact, mm. when I was in college, my major was history. And uh, I had a professor who was Soviet in her education. Okay. Right? So she had a PhD in history from a Soviet system. And she was young, Mm -hmm. and she had just been in the States for like six months. Oh, wow. And was teaching this Russian history class, right? And she had a thick, thick accent. I was one of two history majors in the class. The rest of them were education majors who needed to take a number of hist- a set number of history classes to become educators. Okay. And this is one that fit in their schedule broadly. And they all started doing this whole I can't understand you and that's why I'm not doing well on the tests. I'm having trouble. She she spoke English fine. Mm, mm-hmm. It was fine. Yeah. But this was their way of making her doubt herself as a teacher and trying to get themselves a little more leash for not doing well in the class. She called me aside and said, listen, you seem to be the only one who can understand me. You seem to be the only one doing well in the class. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to teach the class. You and I are going to write your lessons and I'm just going to give you an A. Wow. And so I taught my own Russian history class in university. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's a cool story. I like that. And it was literally hand to mouth. Well, yeah. Of it course. was like read yeah. the chapter, go and lecture on it the next day. <laughs> nice. Um, and then right at 1500, this is the last thing I have. Um, in the Punjab, which is now kind of parts of uh, Pakistan and India, Guru Nanak was his name, found Sikhism. So Sikhism is an uh, Eastern religion. Uh, un, it's often confused with Hinduism, but it's actually monotheistic. Um, and uh, yeah, we have a lot of Sikhs in Canada, actually. Sikhism, when you study it, hmm. is like a whole, reli- in my opinion, mm-hmm. from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. that, that we call those who are sensitive to the concepts of God and the movement of God seekers. Mm. <laughs> in English, I understand it's an in, there are a lot of gaps to jump between here and there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in Sikhism that is seeking. Mm-hmm. It's not a defined faith. Most of it mm-hmm. is keep your eyes open and keep learning. It is obvious that there is but one God. The only question is, who is that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what does exactly does that God require of us? Yeah, yeah. And it is very, very Christian friendly. I would think so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because they are. Yeah, they are seeking, and and a lot of kind of the, I guess the the moral standards are very much in line. Yeah. Um, with Christian teaching, so and great beards, great beards. Don't they get knives too? We should get knives. We should get knives. Well, you got me a knife, actually. I did, but not like theirs. Not like that, though. No, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, and some guy named Chris finds a place. That's another thing that happens. Chris. We'll get to him in a minute. (laughs) So I think we, I think to start talking about the two big things we have today, we need to talk about Spain. Oh, the Spanish. España. See. See. Um, so Spain, as we know, it didn't exist for most of the Middle Ages. In fact, for centuries, most of it was controlled by the Moors, who were um, an Islamic people who had conquered most of 
what is now the Spanish Peninsula by like the 700s. And then for like centuries, there's just factions fighting back and forth. And you have these small Christian kingdoms. And sometimes you get the help of the Pope and sometimes you get the help of France and sometimes you get the help of whoever. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. But over the years, they gradually take it back. It's called something called the Reconquista or the Reconquering. And that kind of sets the stage for what's about to happen because in 1469, these two kingdoms or two of the, the dominant kingdoms that will become Spain, uh, one is ruled by King Ferdinand of Aragon and the other is by Queen Isabella of Castile. They get married and essentially unify Spain mm-hmm. into one thing. It's interesting that in this, in this time, and, and, and prior to this time, but in, in the kingdom mentality, survival is based upon being the bigger bully and that they would use marriage to do that. Yeah. We're going to merge kingdoms through a wedding. Yeah. Right? And uh, that's what's happening here. Yeah. And then so these, these kingdoms, which were not inconsequential on their own, right? suddenly come together. And it's a bit of a process. It's, it takes a little while for them to really be united, but becomes the biggest bully on the block, essentially. Oh, yeah. For a while. Yeah. For a good long while. And not long after the happy wedding and union of these two countries, these two monarchs, who are, are known as the Catholic monarchs, um, petition the Pope to start an inquisition. Because they fear heresy and the dilution of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there's, so there's, you know, as I was doing my research on this, there's, there's a lot of different kind of potential motives that are put forward sure. for why they would want an inquisition to happen. A, a lot, I think one potential reason is just the idea of solidifying their power, right? This is a new thing that they're bringing these two nations together. And there's a bunch of people who aren't going to be happy about it. And there's a sense in which they bring in an inquisition, which is kind of a higher authority or higher level of authority, mm-hmm. private police force, technically, because technically it's it's like the church is doing it, but it's kind of under the direction of the crown. So it's this weird kind of mixing of state and church, uh, which I guess is par for the course in, in the Middle, middle Ages. Um, and maybe even also another reason that I, I read about was might be an attempt to improve their reputation in Europe. Yeah. The rest of Europe kind of looked down on Spain because it had taken them so long to get their act together. And because there had been kind of mixing, there was a lot of Jews who lived there. There was a lot of Muslims who still live there. Um, Yeah. Like they were kind of looked down upon. So, you know, it might have been a way of them kind of proving how holy and righteous and, and great they were. And you you have to be careful of a person with something to prove. Mm. When they feel like they're the last one to the party or the least in the room, they're going to oftentimes overcompensate. Yeah. yeah. And we've been talking about Inquisition. We've been talking about the misuses of Inquisition. Mm-hmm. And the Spanish Inquisition is an overcompensation at the greatest degree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the Inquisition, it essentially begins with a rumor. It begins and has to do with the Jews. So it begins with a rumor about crypto-Judaism. So essentially, when, when these kingdoms took the land back, they had kind of forced, they probably wouldn't use that word, but they had strongly encouraged the local Jewish population to convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And many of them did. But there were rumors that some of them were still practicing their Judaism in secret and were not um, honest, I guess, about their conversion experience. It, it's almost like the accusation is you only claimed Christianity because you were required to buy the crown to own land and participate in the local economy. Yeah, exactly. I mean... <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there is a lot of motivations for people to just kind of on the surface seem to embrace it because to not do so meant the end of your livelihood and you were going to have to find a new home. Right. It's kind of like when you have two siblings in a fight and mom says, tell your sister you're sorry. 
Like, how genuine is that apology? <laughs> right? Why do you do it? You do it because you don't get to leave your room until you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is, there's no change of heart or anything there. Mm-hmm. And that is the same with these conversions to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see it becomes just the MO for Spain. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so there's a guy named Tomas de Torquenada, who is a Dominican friar. So again, they like, as they did in the past with inquisitions, they like to pick monks from kind of the blue collar orders, you know, of the people type characters. Sure. And he's elected grand inquisitor. So I guess he's not quite so blue collar anymore. But, um, Again, the, the emphasis initially with the Spanish Inquisition, it definitely broadens, but initially is to find these secret Jews. And the accusations could just be the most ridiculous things. Like, for example, there's no smoke coming out of their chimney today, and it's Saturday. Perhaps they're not putting wood on the fire because they're observing the Sabbath and they're secretly Jews. That's an accusation. Mm-hmm. Like, just silly stuff. But... There was always the innocent until proven guilty aspect of the Inquisition. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like that, that allows them what's the, what's to at least go through due process. Yeah. There's what's that meme? It's like, well, yes, but technically no, or actually no. <laughs> um, yeah. In theory, I guess there was innocent until proven guilty, but that's when we get into how it all worked, you'll see that's not the case. Um, yeah, so uh, as as you mentioned, right, the crown's imposing special taxes on Jews, or it's deporting mm-hmm. them, right? So there's, there are, there are, there would definitely have been people who were secretly pra- like, there is going to be a lot of false accusations. There's probably mm-hmm. some legitimate ones, but I mean, even if they are legitimate, to to do what the inquisitors did to these people is just not, <laughs> just terrible. Anyways, you know, you know what, like. At this point, at this point, I'm willing to step out on a limb and say this is no longer the church. This mm-hmm. is a political group, mm-hmm. an international political group that is acting under the name of the church, mm-hmm. but not acting as the church, mm-hmm. that are in the most tragic irony, doing to the world what Christ told us the world would do to the church. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That sort of persecution. Mm-hmm. It has entirely turned up on its head. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it gets really messy because as I think we mentioned in a previous episode, technically heresy was considered, as strange as it sounds, heresy was considered a crime against the secular ruler mm-hmm. uh, because it jeopardized the well-being of the kingdom is how it was perceived. So there's this weird thing, but so with the church, what the church does is they have these inquisitions to assist the secular rulers in determining the threats to their power. And Ferdinand and Isabella are adamant they want an inquisition. And the Pope's like, are you sure you want an inquisition? They're like, yeah, we want an inquisition. He's like, I don't think you guys really need one. No, we definitely, we definitely want an inquisition. And again, it, it has to do with this consolidating power so it, you baptize it in the name of the church and you you get the stamp of the pope on it um, and not that i'm you know trying to defend the roman catholic church in this instance but this is just another example of that the, the church will use the the secular powers and systems of the day to to pursue their own ends and then the secular powers are using you know systems that were established within the roman catholic church to do that what they want to do and it's just it's just a messy messy situation um yeah there's a there's a whole lot of um shared agenda and and justifying each other in the things that they're doing and and it comes from this mentality of encouraging one another in those things that they're that they both know that they're doing wrong Mm. and and maybe they would have been held at a greater check if someone else hadn't also been there to encourage with that justification and prodding along because they also wanted that evil thing. Right. And and so what we see is for all the ill that the Inquisition brought, the overcompensation and, and that ill that rises up in Spain leads to so many beatings mm. and tortures 
and mass murders mm-hmm. and the entire people groups. We're 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 talking genocide. Mm. An entire targeting people groups to remove them from the land. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's that it's done in the name of heresy is more than heresy. It's blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So this this is the same kind of like mode of inquisition is used uh, against those who are said to have converted from Islam. But then over the years, as the decades move on, it's used against the early Protestants. It's used against, I mean, even just anyone who might be suspected of being an agent for a foreign kingdom. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're English. So we're going to, you might be a, a, you know, a sleeper agent for the, the British crown. So we're going to torture you to figure it just, it goes, it runs rampant. And initially what the inquisition was supposed to do is kind of like, just kind of go from place to place and, and figure out if there's anything there, but they end up just setting up shop in multiple places and just are permanently continuously operating inquisitions for mm-hmm. decades, for centuries actually. Right. Um, and so this is going on. So to get a sense of like, how the process would work. Um, and this is a, maybe an oversimplification, but Inquisitor rides to town, and after the Mass is read, um, he would pronounce an edict of grace. Essentially, it's a grace period to turn yourself in. That's that's what he would say. You got you got a little bit of time. You got a little bit of time to, to get yourself... And all these falsely accused people are like, well, he's not talking to me. Yeah, sure. They're like, well, you don't know, but I actually am. Yeah, yeah. And and then what would happen is people would would, um, you know, denounce their their neighbors or whatever, but they would be totally anonymous. So oh, yeah. so you didn't have to identify yourself if you were calling someone else a heretic, and if you were declared a heretic or accused at least of being a heretic, you had no way of knowing who it was who had turned your name in. So ob- or why they would have turned your name. Yeah. In. So obviously, like like old feuds and like business rivals and like all sorts of just not like so many reasons you can just like oh well, I'm a cloth merchant and if that guy loses his business, then I'm the only one in town and I get super rich. Mm-hmm. He's a heretic. You know what I mean? And so these types of things happen. You'd be imprisoned first until they had time to to get to your trial. Sometimes months. In certain instances, years. Yeah. And, you know, medieval style um, incarceration was not what it is today. Then the trial process itself was just a convoluted mess. And they could use torture to extract confessions. Here's the thing about torture. If you torture someone enough, they'll tell you anything. Right. They'll tell you absolutely anything. You can put someone through enough pain. They'll tell you that, you know, they were born on Mars. Right? Like, it doesn't matter. not, not Not even just to get you to let them go, right? So the the confession, if, if you're being tortured, if, if you know the confession means death, mm-hmm. at some point you're just going to be like, well, that's better than this. It's a release, yeah, for sure. And this that's where this is going anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So rather than like be just like punished like excruciatingly for days and days, you're just like, you know what? decapitate me or burn me at the stake or whatever. Yeah, it's you're going to punish moments. me and then kill me or just kill me. Yeah, might as right? well just get it done. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and now not every single person who was accused was convicted. That's There There were people who were released. And I, I would imagine that a lot of how just how vicious it got probably varied from inquisitor to inquisitor. Sure. There, there may have been some who tried to do it in a somewhat upright way maybe but you give essentially absolute power no one can there's no jurisdiction over these guys like if you're a noble they can you can be accused they can try you like mm-hmm. like there's no one keeping them in check and so you just take a bunch of monks and give them essentially absolute power and tell them that they're doing the lord's work not only absolute power, but absolute authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Authority and power combined together without any check or balance. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where I'm going to get frustrated. When I was researching for this, I came across a not a not a prevailing idea, but a pretty significant stack 
of deniers of Spanish Inquisition. Mm. Like outright deniers? Like it never happened? Well, deniers of the way we would color mm. the Spanish Inquisition. Okay. And prevalent enough that in 1994, the BBC did a documentary saying it's all blown out of proportion. Hmm. Right? And their argument was the Spanish Inquisition was a fair trial system for the removal of heresy and political enemies. And the reason we know the Spanish Inquisition to be what it is is because of the Protestants. Right, okay. Who were after the money and the power held by the Catholic Church wanting to supersede the Protestant Church above the Catholic Church and take that place of international power and authority. <laughs> and the reason they were willing to make this statement is because in the 1980s, they were allowed, historians were allowed access to an ancient library that had never been studied before. And it was the library that housed the handwritten reports of the Spanish inquisitors okay. as they were reporting to their superiors back to the church. Okay. This is what we did today. Okay. So here's the scenario that they're painting. These books have never been studied. Look, this is actually what went on. It's the daily log. Okay. Sure. But mm. we have 400 years of the Moors, right. the Jews, mm -hmm. and the Protestants saying, this is what happened to me, my family, and everyone around me. Mm -hmm. We have people who aren't even a part of these groups that are historians mm -hmm. writing about what was taking place. Mm -hmm. You cannot give credence to the villain and say, well, he said he didn't, so mm -hmm. you're all liars. Right. Everyone, everyone in the room, mm -hmm who is not connected, who would see themselves even in cases as enemies of each other. This isn't like everyone against one person, right? Right. These, are, these are guys are all playing for different teams. They're all telling the same story. And then you have the guy who is being accused going, no, I didn't. And then the BBC is just going to be like, did you hear that? He didn't. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> the saddest practice of history mm. it was i'm a pastor i have to be careful what i do online sure i don't comment on videos or facebook posts and things like that it was everything i could do not to post on that video bbc this is beneath you <laughs> because it is yeah any reputable source under I would not have scored a high school research paper well with that level of research. Mm -hmm. Taking one source yeah. that is contrary to all sources mm -hmm. and say, and this, is the, this is the authority. Yeah, and sheds themselves in a very good light. Yeah. And could have been selectively pruned over the decades and centuries by the Catholic Church that was holding on to all these documents anyways. And they're it, like, look, the notes we have here say that it was only X amount of people who were executed. So there was only that many people who were ever executed. Right. And like, then no, you just have the notes you have with just the, those are the notes of just those executions. You have no idea what else happened. Yeah. And, and, and the way that they said that the Protestant church was going to, here's the thing. They kept, they kept blaming the Protestant church, which also got me fired up. Mm. I had, there are a couple of times I had to press pause, get up, walk around, come back and sit down. Um, because the Protestant and the historian in me were both shouting. Um, but the, the way that they kept doing this was to say the Protestants got their hands on printing presses. Mm. And it was something the Catholic Church didn't have access to. And they printed all of this propaganda in order to overthrow the church. A couple of problems. One... 
we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church in the medieval period. <laughs> they had their hands on anything they wanted to have their hands on. That's right. <laughs> it wasn't like they were looking around going, I wish we could afford a printing press. <laughs> well, let's just go get that priceless marble for St. Peter's Basilica. I wish we could afford a Gutenberg, right? Like, I know. It, it's, it's, ridicu- <laughs> it's a ridiculous statement. And, and then further to that, posting all of these things about the Spanish Inquisition and the danger of it, isn't going to cause people to rebel against the church. Hmm. It's going to have the opposite effect, right? It's going to cause people to go, I'm not, I'm not even listening to this Protestant. Don't come to my house because you're going to get me accused of heresy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to end up in the same situation as these other people. Mm-hmm. It's not even an effective strategy. Mm-hmm. Third to that, I would say the Protestant Reformation, as we will discuss later, spoiler alert, if you don't know how it turns out, becomes quite successful. Mm-hmm. And there is no grab for power. Mm-mm. There's no grab for money in the same way. All of that is condemned mm-hmm. from from its beginnings. Right. Zwingli, Luther, Calvin, mm-hmm. all of these guys are against these things. Mm-hmm. It was just terrible right. practice of history. But I, I also found it on a number of... Catholic education sites. Okay, I'm sure you did. I'm <laughs> like sure Catholic you did. church history sites and stuff I'm like sure that, all linking back to the same video and talking about the power of the video and and the need to revise history mm-hmm. based on this new uh, these new findings. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, like there's in our country, there are people who want to deny things that happen to. First Nations groups Mm -hmm. in the schools that were held here and to deny those things is gross Mm -hmm. and is not something that benefits our society. Mm -hmm. It cannot be allowed. Mm -hmm. There are people around the world that want to deny the Holocaust and the atrocities that took place there. This is on that level, Mm -hmm. right? that That it's another place and that it's centuries removed sometimes makes it harder for that sure but the number of innocent people who died horrible deaths mm-hmm. at these hands this is in my mind akin to yeah. holocaust denial yeah and and the thing is like because it's done in the name of christ like so you might say okay well you know we're talking about thousands not millions who cares it's yeah. done in the name it's it's it they, they had no right to do it and their motives for it were were false and yeah unfortunately it's it's not the end of this type of thing, even in church history. Um, one of the things that would happen to people, I mean, they many were burned at the stake. Um, others were kind of forced into a type of slavery. They were, you know, forced to be rowers in the Navy and that sort of thing. But a lot of wealth and property was confiscated from those who were convicted, like lots and lots of money, which was handy for the Spanish nobility, because they had a use for all that money. And that use was exploring and conquering the new world. So in 1492, Ferdinand and Isabella meet with Christopher Columbus. And he has been, (laughs) I think, essentially harassing the nobility of Europe to to find somebody who can fund his journey to, to India. Yeah, he's convinced. I I can go. I just need the money. Somebody just bouncing around from just give me a loan. Yeah, one just, royal to another. Yeah. Hey, can I have some money? And he convinces Ferdinand and Isabella, and so he sails with three ships: mm-hmm. the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I know that. So here's the thing that you might not realize. Maybe you do realize it, um, and our um, listeners south of the border might not realize. In our education system, we get virtually no Christopher Columbus or any of that. So, like, when I was growing up, I learned about... It was I was in the French school system, so they almost exclusively just taught us about the French explorers. Oh, really? It was, like, the British and the Italians and the Spanish. Like, they might get, like, a brief mention, but they're like, but this guy found Quebec. And, like, that was essentially the emphasis of my, my history education growing really? up. Yeah, it was unfortunate. So, what I've learned about Christopher Columbus apart from just the research for this podcast, has been through, like, movies and television and that sort of thing. I never really learned much in school about it at all. Yeah, so here's here's something I want to say to a younger generation 
who doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I every year at Columbus Day, I hear this mocking tone about, oh, he discovered America. Oh, but there were already people here, right? Discovery does not insist that no one knew about it before. Right. You discover a new artist on Spotify. Mm. It doesn't mean that that guy's mom hadn't heard him sing before. Right. <laughs> or that the producers or the sound engineers weren't a part of making that record. Right. Right? To discover means to find something on your own that you didn't know about before. Mm-hmm. All of Europe didn't know about the Americas. Yeah. And it's the Americas a, didn't know about Europe. That's it's for a sure. genuine discovery. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. It's, it's to stumble upon something. Yeah. And so I, I say that just because I'm, it's a feeble effort, but I need to do some kind of effort yeah. to put an end to that madness. That drives me crazy. As a fan of all things Vikings, I like to remind people that technically they found North America like 500 years before, but... Never shared that information. But that was the thing. They did nothing with it, right? So, mm-hmm. and they didn't, co- well, and Columbus landed at the more hospitable part. <laughs> the part worth landing on? <laughs> the part that had gold and you didn't freeze to death. Um, so anyways, so he arrives, he ends up making four voyages to the Caribbean and um, essentially, yeah, kind of sets up shop and there's just quick and massive exploration that happens. Oh yeah. Like when you read about it, it's it's unbelievable. Like this new frontier, obviously he thought he was going to India. He didn't get there. Um, Died thinking he was a failure. Yeah. But it wouldn't be long before people did figure out how to get around the tip of South America mm-hmm. and get across the Pacific. Like the the level of exploration um, is astounding. Is it Magellan sh- that first circumnavigates? I believe so, yeah. yeah. But the like it's... Um, it's astounding how quickly this just explodes. We're talking like within a few decades, like one dude who's like bugging all the, the Royals to get a, a loan and everybody's turning him down because they think he's just a nut job. And then within less than 50 years, we've got essentially the majority of South America, Central America, the Caribbean's parts of North America conquered. Yeah. So Columbus set sail in 1492 mm-hmm. as the famous rhyme Reminds us, I guess not one that you grew up with. I never did. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. There you go. Never heard it before. There you go. No, I got a thing. Uh, It's like I went to school in the States. (laughs) Magellan circumnavigates by 1522. He's finished. Yeah, so 30 years. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, that's crazy. And, And part of the reason this is able to be done, one, the science of shipbuilding has allowed it to be done. Two, Columbus's not like the whole the whole idea that everyone thought the world was flat and Columbus saw the ships coming into the harbor and realized it wasn't and no the the Greeks talked about yeah. the roundness of earth yeah okay <laughs> uh so that's not a thing we have one listener who just stopped listening to us forever <laughs> <laughs> no oh well we've got one left come, come back come back we're going to really invest in that one that's left uh but but that he makes a successful trip, is able to go and come back, yeah. breeds confidence in other people that, hey, this can be done, mm-hmm. and we have charts to help us do that, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So there is the encouragement in that. There is the science of shipbuilding that enables it. But these things aren't cheap. No. And Ferdinand and Isabella can't do it all. They don't have that kind of wealth. Mm-hmm. So where does that money come from? It comes from the church mm. who sponsors state, including Ferdinand and Isabella, to do these things. Right. And along the way, the job is to make Christians of the natives people that are found there yep. and establish these missions. Mm-hmm. That's how the state got money from the church. It wasn't the goal of the conquistador. Right. <laughs> who, by the way, would not call himself a conquistador, mm. a conqueror, mm. if mission were his goal. Right. 
<laughs> he would call himself a missionary. The evangelist. <laughs> or the missionary. Yeah. But he called himself the conqueror. Mm-hmm. And so, funny enough, the Spanish bring to a non-Christian people Christ by the sword. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mr. and Mrs. BBC, Spanish Inquisition denier, mm-hmm. it's a global phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. And the evidences of it are literally on every continent of the globe. Yeah. And that is the modus operandi of the church in Spain. Mm-hmm. And come on. It's yeah. beneath you, BBC. <laughs> so because I know you're you're listening. You're the one listener. So just yeah, right. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's like some like <laughs> producer from the BBC. I'm I'm looking for it. I think tomorrow morning, not in real time. Oh. But the morning after this airs, mm. we're going to go on BBC and we're going to see an apology post. <laughs> I highly doubt it. It'll that. be front page. So speaking briefly of these conquistadors, again, the the speed with which all of this happens is just astounding. And I, I again, having not learned history in a American context knew virtually nothing about it. I've never learned anything about the conquistadors. And to be honest, a lot of it, most of what I learned just happened within the last like 48 hours. So in 1521, Cortes conquers the entire Aztec empire. Like it falls. Like, and he's got a few hundred Spanish. A few hundred. Mm -hmm. But what he does have is tens of thousands, perhaps even a hundred thousand local natives on his side. Right. Because what the Spanish understood, or what they came to understand, was that these Aztec... See, sometimes we think, we learn all about this history of what's going on in Europe and all the different factions and all the baggage and all the things that are going on, forgetting that that was happening in this part of the world too. And so he gets everybody who's ticked off about being under the boot of the Aztecs and mm-hmm. raises an army and topples an empire with like a few hundred Spanish warriors and then many, many native warriors. And and there's also a mysticism mm. about the Europeans as they come over. Sure, of course there would be. They look different. Yeah. They came in on these ships across the ocean mm-hmm. like aliens. Yeah. In oh, a spaceship. Totally. Yeah. And they have cannons. Yep. And guns. Yeah. And, and armor. And all of a sudden, it, it's, it is akin to an alien invasion for them. Yeah. Yeah, they were... Like I was reading up that like because of the types of materials that the Native American peoples would use for their weapons, they couldn't puncture the armor. Right. So these guys were walking around, unless you got them in the eye, they're indestructible. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you have like elite warriors who just can't even get through. And these conquistadors were not for the most part elite soldiers. They were guys who just wanted to make some more money. They were like, they weren't getting anywhere, so they hop on a boat to take a chance. Of, it's like going to the Wild West, right? A couple hundred years after this. And yet, just the sheer imbalance in technology makes all the difference. Um, guy named Pizarro will murder the Incan emperor in 1533, topple the Incan empire mm-hmm. down in Peru. Like, they've already, Pizarro, yeah. they've, already, they've already circumnavigated, met with the Incans, and toppled them. Like, within that, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy, but... The Spanish, what they do in bringing Christ by the sword is, I mean, you still see the scars of it today um, in uh, in South America, and you still see, you know, imbalances, and you still see people groups that are, that are suffering for it. Um, it's, yeah, it's just deeply, deeply traumatic. And, like... <clears throat> One of the things that the church allowed the Spanish to do, because they kind of funded them, but they they allowed the Spanish to um, elect their own bishops and essentially run the church however they wanted to. Right. And so what you have, again, is, you know, essentially churchmen that are that are more like warlords. Right. And uh, and in their you know efforts to convert the peoples are essentially just like carrying out military campaigns against these people until they submit. Right, and a submitted tribe were counted as converts. Yeah. And so they're able to go back to the church and say, look, we have 3,000 converts today. 
mm-hmm. isn't that special. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is which I find kind of ironic because they were doubting the authenticity of the conversion of the Jewish people because they were forced to convert. And then they're celebrating the forced conversion of these American peoples. Like it's the reason there's a disconnect in the logic is because that's not really what they care about. Right. They go (laughs) to the Incas and they find gold. Yeah. They go to the Aztecs and they find gold. What is Ponce de Leon searching for? He's scouring Florida for the fountain of youth. Right. Eternal life and gold. Mm -hmm. That's what the Spanish want. Mm-hmm. And they don't care about anything else. They are trying to make themselves gods. Yeah. Right? That's what you want by absolute wealth and eternal life. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they're searching for. Um, and they find gold in South America, they find gold in Mexico and Central America, both. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come up into. So these areas you'll see are very Catholic areas, mm-hmm. profoundly Catholic areas mm-hmm. to this day. Right. A very distorted Catholicism in most cases sure. because one of the things that they did once they would conquer a people is they would allow them to assimilate their religion, their voodoos and native religions into Catholicism and would literally just rename aspects of the faith with a Christian something and right and so the question then might be asked why not the area that is the united states Mm. right why don't the spanish take that in the same way if their goal is the spread of the church well the reason is ponce de leon never finds his fountain of youth Mm -hmm. and then later on hernando de soto 1540s, is going to make the decision to push further into uh, the the continent of the United States to Mm -hmm. find that gold. The tribes there are like, oh no, Mm -hmm. it's here. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you're describing. It's Mm -hmm. right over that way. You just and they just keep passing him along (laughs) to the next spot just to get them out of there. Yeah, yeah, and. They they get a not quite halfway up the states. Okay, just across the Mississippi River to a place now known as Arkansas. Okay, where they are attacked by some really vicious groups mm-hmm. that are like, I don't care about your guns mm-hmm. or your armor. Mm-hmm. Just really vicious, warring native groups mm-hmm. who kind of come together and just kind of guerrilla warfare, the thing individually. Mm-hmm. At this point, he's so far away from any stores of ship mm-hmm. to reimburse him mm-hmm. or, or to help him build back his army. They completely slaughter the group and send them down into uh, Mississippi where eventually the whole thing falls apart wow. and everyone, everyone dies. Um, one of the things that people may or may not know about the southern U.S. is there is a wild hog problem. Okay. These feral hogs that just sort of run the mountains, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Okay, okay, yeah. Right? Uh, not native to the United States. Really? When Hernando de Soto was attacked, one of the things that he had brought with him mm. were pigs from Spain that were traveling with him in order to feed his conquistadors as they traveled but when the indians attacked and they smashed everything Mm -hmm. they smashed these cages let the pigs go and now there is a uh, feral hog problem wow so there you go i did not know that arkansas history fact wow something that everyone needs to know wow yeah alabama mississippi florida arkansas all have these pigs from the spanish conquest but but that's to say Mm -hmm. when no gold was found spanish quit Right. They gave up the search. Yeah. Because they weren't missionaries. Yeah. They were conquerors. Mm -hmm. Again, under the guise of the church. Sure. Yeah. And so this, hopefully, this conversation today about what was going on in Spain and and around the world. And and keep in mind, I mean, we've beaten up on Spain. The other countries did it too. Spain was just worst. <laughs> like yeah. Spain was the worst. Like they just were worst and first. Worst and first. Yeah. Um, but what we need to 
remember is that this is all kind of building the context that is leading to the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. These things going on, this, this this way of understanding, this this kind of this religiosity devoid of any true piety that was just you know a tool to be used in order to acquire or retain power. Um, that just defining the culture of Europe for centuries. Um, and now with other things kind of in play with, you know, with the division within the papacy, with the Gutenberg press, with, with people starting to, you know, translate the Bible into vernacular languages, things are just primed for mm-hmm. something big to happen. And and even within the church, like this, this is... This is a moment to shine some light on the Roman Catholic Church. Within the church, within those trained by the church to read the scripture in the Latin Vulgate, there are people starting to ask questions mm-hmm. about how this has gone too far. Mm-hmm. Right? The Inquisitions, it, it's not lost on everyone. Mm-hmm. And the selling of indulgences. Yeah is not lost on everyone. And there are significant people saying we need reform. Right? And that's and that's what the reformation, I mean, it's in the word. Yeah. Right? So the initial intention was the, the call was for reform. And that call exists throughout these periods. It just doesn't resonate quite yet. And one of those ways where sometimes people need to see it get really bad before they heed the warning that it's bad. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was bad. It, it, it got bad <laughs> enough for people to take note. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Anything else you want to... I, I kind of blew through the conquistadors and throughout my whole thing just railing on... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still a little upset about this... Uh, Denying the, hol- the Holocaust, denying the uh, Inquisition thing. Yeah, no, that's fair, man. I felt like everything I brought today mm. was just poised to attack that. <laughs> you were just ready to go. You're fired up. You had your soapbox. Do you feel like you got your moment? I do. Good. I do. Well, with that. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. Take care. See you at the Reformation.